Ja som Jan Greguš a vy počúvate Zvuk Lunds. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined by williams callum williams shout out to the great sean connery rest in power on the docket today we'll talk about the come from behind draw against the chicago fire how did you feel about that sean connery impression was it okay i thought it was okay that was, okay. That was acceptable Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, So we're going to talk about the come from behind draw against the Chicago Fire and look ahead not only to the final game of the regular season against FC Dallas, but also talk playoffs and playoff seating. Maybe playoff seating might be too complicated, but we'll talk about the playoffs. Uh, First, we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season, which is coming to an end now, uh, the regular season at least. Allianz, Alina Health, Bell Bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota, Federated Insurance and M Health Fairview. We really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us throughout this weird and wild season. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Callum, how are you today? It's it's beautiful out there. It looks like this weather might hold out through the FC Dallas game on Sunday evening, and then I think it starts snowing again. But man, I will take take the the brief return of summer uh, anytime. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? I don't think anybody expected this. I've been walking around outside in a T-shirt today, which which has been splendid. I, I thought those days had long abandoned us, Steve, and I was expecting, which is fine, but I fully expected to be wrapped up in several layers and, and you know, having to embrace uh, what many people assume is winter in Minnesota, and they'd be correct. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, I was over at the stadium this morning recording our other podcast and um, we had to put the windows open. We did it in the radio broadcast booth and had to have the windows open. It was like a, a walking into a sauna. It was just, uh, yeah, it was it was lovely. Um, and it uh, just makes things a little more pleasant, does it? You know, I'm, I'm not really, you know, weather isn't a massive um, thing for me, Steve, in terms of it, it doesn't really dictate my enjoyment of things because, as I've said several times here and in other places, that the weather in, in England and what I'm used to growing up over there is is routinely awful. So it, it's not really a massive um, thing that dictate, dictates what I do, but a bit of nice weather actually, it, it, it opens up possibilities, doesn't it? It gives you so many other things to do, you know. For example, I might even go and sit on a patio and have a little beer somewhere this evening, you know, and I thought those days were gone. So we'll wait and see. It's, it's lovely, though. It's really nice to have this brief return of the sun to Minnesota. Yeah, I sort of thought, you know, when it got so cold so early, we had that snowfall that was, you know, I think one of the earliest, biggest snowfalls that Minnesota's had. Um, I was like, it's too early for this to just stick the rest of the way. I was like, we're going to have a warm-up. And and we got the warm-up, and it's nice, because we went through a couple of cold weeks there where we were outside doing fires, like in the snow and stuff like that. And that's fun for a little bit, but... Uh, it was it was nice to have a return to just being able to sit outside without extra heating elements and just kind of hang out. Uh, and it'll be nice for uh, you know as as the the playoffs get in as we get into the playoffs and if Minnesota is 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 in a position to host a home game, it's probably not going to be this warm on November uh, you know twentieth twenty first when that when that first round starts with the playoff schedule just having come out. But we do get a nice game uh, against FC Dallas. It looks like for right now on Sunday night. Um, let's talk about, uh, the, the previous game before we get into the present, let's talk about the Chicago fire, uh, coming to, uh, Allianz field for the first time. I, uh, my opening statement on this is that I'm, I'm going to say, I think this could easily have served as Michael Boxall's closing argument for defender of the year, given how sort of disconnected the defense looked in the early going and sort of intermittently throughout the game. I mean, there's, there's a lot more than just that. There's a lot of things that are going on in this season, but when you realize that Boxy has played every minute up until that last game and then the defense just looked completely ripped apart, I think that's I think it's maybe not full causation, but there is definitely correlation there. Yeah. Um it's funny, we were talking about this this morning. Um you when you have somebody who performs as regularly as Michael Boxall does, and the performance are as consistent as they have been, it sort of becomes an expectation for somebody to deliver at that level all the time, which which I don't think is wrong, 
but um, the expectation is there because you just become used to it. Um, and this happens in every aspect of life. You, you get used to it and maybe you don't appreciate it as much as you should. And then when it goes, you realise what you have and, or, or what you had. Um, and during the, the prep for the game, Steve, um, I, I noticed that Boxy had, had played an absurd amount of football for Minnesota United, more than anybody else over the course of, of the last calendar year or so. And I had to go back and see in the last game that Minnesota played without him in a, a regular MLS game was like June 19th or something along those lines in, in 2019. You know, it was, it, was, it was a long time ago. And so it just shows how consistent he's been. Um, for me, um, in my opinion, he has to be the club MVP of the season. Um, I know there are one or two others who might feel um, a little disgruntled by that, but but I, I think Michael Boxall, for me, has been the epitome of consistency. He's been a true leader both on and off the field. He's shown how important he is. Um, and, and also, you know, you and I have said this on several occasions, he's just a lovely bloke as well. <laughs> um, no ego, no nothing about him from, from that sense, um, just about as professional as they come. Um, and for me, he, he um, has proven over the course of particularly the last couple of months in what has been a very irregular season, um, he's shown how important he, he is. And, uh, you know, let's hope he's around for a long time here in these parts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you look at the sort of consistency he's delivered and you look at the consistency of um, now, obviously, that Ozzy Alonso has been in and out of the lineup out right now with with injury um, issues and things like that. But he's another one of those guys that like if he's available, he's going to give you what you need. He's going to provide that consistently. Um, I think that to a certain extent, um, Jan Gregus is getting there in terms of, you know, it, it's, it's not a defensive, not on the defensive side of the ball as much, but his consistency of just contributing to the play is there still looking for that kind of consistency in the attack. It sort of makes me think about like, what if Minnesota United can really get its hands on, you know, a forward who provides that kind of, you know, obviously forwards are a, a little more feast or famine than, than, than defenders are going to be in this, in a certain sense, but a kind of consistency that, a player like Boxall or Ike Opara, you know, who hasn't played the season, but like what Ike brought last year, what Ozzy brought last year. Uh, if you can get some of that in the attack, it could be a whole different story. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Cal, the, 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 the back line that we did have. Obviously, AHA hero for getting the goal uh, to cut the lead in half. Brent Coleman uh, still sort of adjusting to playing at the MLS level again. Um, had a rough first outing to start. Had sort of a little bit of a rough first outing, uh, a rough start to this outing, which was his second. Um, but some strong plays. You know, he blocked that that shot on goal, uh, which it's sort of one of those things where you don't want to have to make that play. But I'm glad that he did make that play. Um, I felt like Debassi. It was interesting with Debassi because he sort of looks fine. It passed midfield as an attacking fullback, and he looks basically fine defending on the wing when he's the ball's in front of him. But the sort of fullback thing of moving back and forth that didn't seem to be his strong suit. It just made me feel like like center back is where he's working. I mean, obviously some of it is familiarity, but it, it sort of was like he did the parts, but the sort of continuity of of working up and down that left wing I didn't see as much from him. Yeah, you have to have a rather large set of lungs to be able to do it, you know, and. Uh, you know, what we've got to remember is that um, Debassi, whilst he's played in this position before, he is naturally a centre-back, as, as you said. Um, and he's 31 now as well. So, and, and to ask a 31-year-old to come in and play this role in this system for the first time, I think is, um, it, it, it can be difficult. I think if you, like, like for example, like Roman Itinier, right, who's been playing this role for the majority of his career, uh, and, and has played systems similar to this, it, it's okay being a 30-year-old because your body's used to it. But playing it as a 31-year-old perhaps for the first time, it requires an adjustment period. And I think that's what Debas is going through at the moment. I think he's been solid. I think he's been okay. Um, he's clearly much more suited and has performed better as a centre-half. Mm -hmm. But um, obviously, whilst Chase Gasper is unavailable, um, I think Debassi... Uh, has performed admirably. And, and, you know, it's one of those, Steve, where, um, you know, if, if Gasper were to go down with another injury or something um, and, and we have to call Debassi back in at left-back once more, 
it, it's not a worry. You know, it's not one of them where you think, oh, you know, I'm not really sure about that. He just does a steady job. He's fine. Um, but yes, I mean, it, it's obvious that he's much more comfortable as a centre-half and, and those games that we've seen him play at centre-half, um, I, I think he's been phenomenal. So um, it, it, it's it's never never a bad thing to have the amount of depth that Minnesota have because it's been tested now. We're, we're seeing it more than ever. Um, but uh, yeah, look, Debassi is, is good at what he does, um, but I think in a perfect world, you'd, you'd probably have him at centre-half. Yeah, I, I think that if you have Debassi out there on the left and then you have, you know, Boxy back in the middle with, you know, Aha or Coleman, I think I wouldn't feel as bad. I think that the combination of all three of that, you know, I mean, obviously Roma Mantanier is Roma Mantanier and he's he's always there. But like those other three all sort of being newish guys, you just saw it getting pulled apart. There's a lot of diagonal balls. There wasn't that sort of everyone stepping up at the same time. Um, they were they were making too much room for for balls to come in behind them and in between the lines and things like that. Uh, even you know initially it was poor. Eventually it got a little better, but at no point throughout the night did it sort of feel like you had that. I, I, maybe we've gotten spoiled. Uh, I remember feeling this way last year as watching sort of Ozzy and Ike and then Boxy as he sort of played into familiarity with Ike. You just got, you started to feel like confident, like the ball's coming back there. We're going to stop it. We're going to get it back out. It didn't, didn't really feel that all night against Chicago. No, but the, the thing is, is that we, we have to identify, Steve, the absurdity of the injury list right now. Yeah. Of course, it's <laughs> yes. not going to be what we're used to. It's not, it's not going to be what we're used to. There's going to be several people that will take time to adjust. Um, you know, Brett Calvin, prior to the game against Colorado, hadn't played for Minnesota for over a calendar year. And I know he had a loan spell at El Paso, and, and, and he said to, to us on the broadcast side of things, um, and to yourself um, the week prior, that it did him the world of good because he, he felt sharp again and he felt good, and, and it was good for him to go and play games. Um, but you know, aha prior to that. I hadn't played since early October because obviously um, testing for COVID-19, testing positive for it. Um, so he was quite rightly kept away. And, 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 you know, it only takes two weeks to lose your, your fitness and your sharpness in, in this sport. I'm assuming it's the same in other sports as well. But for, mm-hmm. for this sport, it, it's, it's, it was always that two-week period where you kind of think to yourself, okay, I don't expect to be as sharp anymore and I don't expect to be as fit. I've got to regain that. So I thought, you know, with all of that in mind, I, I thought the two centre-halves performed admirably. Um, I, I don't think there were um, too many major examples of a lack of fitness. I thought, uh, and let's not forget as well, it was the first time these two uh, centre-halves had played alongside each other as well. Yeah. So yeah. that element elements to bring into it as well. Um, so I, I thought given all of that, I, I thought it was decent considering they were going up against Robert Berwick, who... Um, you know, what was it prior to the to the game? It was eight goals in 11 games. He was flying. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know he scored and he scored a very good goal. Um, but um, I, I, I thought uh, they, they did okay. I don't think they did great, but it's, it, I'm not, not going to um, put the blame on, on the centre-halves single-handedly because um, there was a lot of issues against Chicago Fire in that first half. Um, and, yeah. and at the start of, of the second half, I'm assuming that's where you want to go with this, Steve. And, mm-hmm. um, look, I mean, so there's, there's several different things for me here. And, and we, we've already spoken about the back line and, and the, the slight frailties there. Um, but under the circumstances, I thought they were okay. Um, we knew coming into the game that, that centre midfield was always going to be an issue for Minnesota United because of the lack of, of bodies um, and the lack of first-team players available. Marlon Hairston came in and, and played centre midfield and was was okay um, he wasn't great but he was okay but also again this comes uh, down to the fact that Marlon Hairston really hasn't played in the centre of midfield um, for several years on a consistent basis right. um, started his career as a central midfielder at the Rapids and then they uh, pushed him out wide in, into a wide midfield role and then uh, they figured out he could play fullback. And Houston mainly used him as a fullback. And, and Minnesota have used him as a, as a fullback in the past as well. And then a wide midfielder from time to time. I know they they used him in, in an eight role, you know, four three three against San Jose, and he scored. Um, but I'll be kind here in in saying that, you know, I I think the earthquakes were were already psychologically finished on that particular evening in the MLS's back tournament. But sure. um, you know, I, I think. Um, and for me, so a lot of a lot of the emphasis 
and pressure fell on Jan Gregus, who who was the captain on the night as well. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think he had a, his best evening either. But I'll be I'll be fair to him and say I don't think he had much support in the centre of midfield either. All of that accompanied by the fact that Chicago Fire have perhaps got the best centre midfield that they've had for a long, long time in their franchise history. Alvaro Madran is an ex-Real Madrid player. You don't play for Real Madrid if if you're nobody. Um, and and he's not one of these players that goes on to play in the lower leagues or whatever. Then he actually played in La Liga with, with Valencia, you know, and, and uh, Real Vallecano and, and a few other teams. You know, he's a very good player. And, and I think I mentioned him on the previous podcast. He's... Um, Delightful passer of the ball. He, he, he reads the game very well. Always wants the ball at feet. He's wonderful. And, and he has a lot of protection in, in Gaston Jimenez as well, who, who I thought hardly put a foot wrong against Minnesota United. So there was that issue to deal with as well. And then if we go even further up the fields, it was obvious after, um, I thought, about 10 minutes, Chicago Fire were going to play against Minnesota like Chicago Fire did in 2019. And in previous years, if you go back and, and you think about it, remember last year, Steve, when Chicago Fire had Bastian Schweinsteiger essentially playing as a centre-half. Mm-hmm. And um, even if he wasn't at a centre-half, this was somewhat common throughout their campaign in 2019, he would drop in between the two centre-halves and allow the fullbacks to go forward. They'd almost have a back three. But yeah. whenever the ball got into the feet of Schweinsteiger, he'd ping the ball and he would get them going. That's essentially what happened for the fire at Allianz on Wednesday. But that responsibility fell to Francisco Calvo. And Calvo, whilst there were one or two wayward passes, I thought he delivered the ball on, on a dime on several different occasions. I thought he released Frankowski with several um, uh, direct balls across the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought um, uh, straight away, obviously, he, he was interrogating the Loon's back line um, because he was playing up to the likes of, of Berich, who is a big lad who can hold it up and, and invite the others into play. I thought he um, linked up very well with Mihailovic when he got himself involved and, and should have scored as well, Mihailovic. Um, and, and so a lot of that comes down to what Adrian Heath has said in the past about defending from the front and being the first man to defend. Mm-hmm. When Minnesota, and this happens from time to time, Steve, in a 4-2-3-1 and even a 4-3-3 from time to time, when they're without the ball, the shape does change slightly and the midfield tends to turn into a flat four and it leaves the 10 and the forward ahead. And it's down to the, the front players to really pressure the back line. And I, I, th- I think it was perhaps a lot of responsibility on Kai Kamara to do it on his own. And I don't think Kevin Molino provided the necessary um, pressure that was needed. There mm-hmm. was so many times when Calvo picked the ball up for the fire, took a touch, looked up, took another touch, went forward and was pinging the ball all over the place and there was zero pressure. And, and for me, that's where the problem really was for Minnesota United is that they, they didn't defend from the front and it caused them real problems. And, and what it did, Steve, is it put a back line under pressure um, and a back line that, that wasn't at its best for Minnesota United in terms of, as we've already said, fitness and sharpness anyway. So it caused real problems for the Loons. Um, and I, I hope they, they learn from it going forward because that, that opening 45 minutes uh, was, was nowhere near good enough. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, uh, you know, I sort of felt like Kevin Molino had sort of a noticeably off game overall um, in, in terms of obviously defensively, you're not necessarily looking for him to be a, a difference maker. But as you're saying, it's like that's, that's going to be a responsibility to sort of get up. What was just that? Play just, just play the role. Just play yeah. the role well, you know? Yeah, get getting that guy's shirt, you know, who's who's the first one to get the ball and look and look up the field. So so he wasn't doing that. And then on offense, he just had sort of a, a bevy of touches that were poor or opportunities where he sort of made the wrong choice, which is sort of one of those things of, you know, I think Reynoso is obviously not at, at, at full fitness, but like Reynoso in that number 10 role seems like he is has more consistency than Kevin Molino, who is a tantalizing player to, to borrow your own, <laughs> one of your own favorite, favorite words. I mean, when he looks on, he's amazing. Like he's, I think as Adrian Heath has said, it's like when, you know, when he's, he looks like he should be able to be a double digit goals and double digit assist guy in the league, but it's just, you know, through a combination of health or whatever, whatever it is, it's like, he'll just have games where I'm like, where is that? Like if, if we had somebody like clicking in the middle of that, of that, uh, of that attacking midfield, it can make a world of difference. And I think you saw that when Reynoso came on um, and you, and, and Molino moved out, Robin Lowe came across to the right. Reynoso has a lot more, um, 
at least on the night, had a lot more sort of defensive verve in him and, and getting the ball off of off of uh, off the fire and, and then turning it back around and doing work on the offensive end. So I think you definitely saw when Reynoso came on, the spark is not just in terms of attacking. I think it, I think there was also a, a certain defensive spark in, in the front half of the field as well. Yeah, absolutely. And also, Steve, as well, I don't want to be too harsh on Kai Kamara as well in terms of the point I just made about defending from the front, because also, in my opinion, I understand why they played a, a player like him up there as well, um, not just because they, they don't have um, much else in, in terms of depth, but I understand why they played a player like him to, to pin up against the likes of uh, Pineda, who um, I, I thought was fantastic but but he yep. he does still show tendencies of of being a rookie he still does make a mistake or, or two there was there was two or three occasions when Kai Kamara knew exactly what he was doing and he would, he would pin up against him and just turn away and use his body to, to maneuver away from him yep. and then Pineda who's not the quickest couldn't catch him so I understand why Kamara um was playing I understand why they went with um with a player like that but you have to to wonder as well what what sort of like a, a pressing centre forward would would have done in that situation end of the day it's a pointless debate really because Minnesota don't have a pressing centre forward at the moment so um, you know but, but either way like as I said I, I do wonder um, if, if they'll you know take some lessons from that and, and wonder what they'll do with it moving forward but um, look at the end of the day like you said there, there were some positives in the second half um, as soon as Reynoso came on the game changed completely um, they got the ball into his feet uh, a lot quicker than, than what they had uh, into Molino's feet um, and Reynoso just invites so much attention. There was so much space in the centre of, well, not so much space, there was more space in the centre of midfield then because the likes of Jimenez and Medran were drawn towards Reynoso, meaning that Jan Gregus had a bit more space to, to manoeuvre mm. as to Marlon Aston. Um, and uh, ultimately, that meant Minnesota could move the ball around a bit more. So, um, and Reynoso obviously delivered a lovely ball in for, for the first goal, and, and fair play to Aha. Ha's uh, first goal has been coming for some time, I feel. You know, he's come close on several occasions since he's, he's started over the course of the last 12 appearances in the regular season. And then prior to that as well in, in the MLS's back tournament as well. So um, he's, he's a handy piece uh, to, to have, is, is Jose Aha, for sure. So I was pleased for him to finally get his, uh, get his first Loons goal. Uh, and then obviously um, Minnesota pushed and, and prodded and, and tried to, to get themselves back into it, and they did. And... Um, I said this earlier this morning on the other podcast, Steve, that, that I, I've been a little bit underwhelmed by Juan uh, Mitanier over the course of the last couple of weeks. And uh, I was glad he got an assist because I think mm-hmm. that'll do his confidence the world of good. He knows that's what his role is essentially from an attacking perspective in, in this system. And um, I believe that was his first assist in eight or nine games. So it was good for him. And uh, Robin Lord again, continues to, to prove his worth. Um, a different type of goal from, from what we've seen from him in the past. I don't think he scored a goal with his head for... Minnesota United uh, since he's come in, at least in the regular season. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, again, it, it, he's just shown that that he and Mitanier on that that right hand side have a really good connection and, and play well with each other. And also, when when Reynoso and Lord tend to to play alongside each other, that there does seem to be an element of consistency, um, which is quite enjoyable and, and quite an issue for opponents to deal with. So, uh, lovely finish by the by the Finnish international. <laughs> And no pun intended. Um, <laughs> with a lovely header across, uh, puts the header exactly where it's got to go as well. Steve, with that amount of pace that's coming across, he's got to move it across, back across, um, and, and continue the, the flight of the ball. Really, just give it a little nudge so it, it manoeuvres into the corner. You know, I think if he goes, if he links to the left and goes forward and goes back towards where um, where Shuttleworth is essentially situated, I think Shuttleworth makes the save. But because he just gets a little flick on it and it continues the, um, from the direction it came, uh, I think there's so much pace behind it and the goalkeeper can't do anything about it. So uh, I thought it was a really good finish. And, um, you know, look, Robin Lerd, two goals in two games now. Um, and uh, I, I'm wondering now um, what Minnesota do against Dallas. Do they, do they play him on that right-hand side from the start? Or do they continue with Ethan Finlay or somebody else? I, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's clear for just about everybody to see now in this system, Robin Lerd works better on that right-hand side. Once, once again, we are completely simpatico. As this is the next next bullet point I was going to because I didn't. I, I don't mean to intend this as um, slagging slagging off Ethan Finlay or anything like that because he has been no. a tremendous player. 
and in a couple of games this season, the difference, you know, he's, he's, he's been great. Um, but the, you do have this problem. And again, this is sort of a more global problem because again, with the way 2020 is, you're just sort of like, who do we have, <laughs> you know, like put them out there. But as you come to thinking about like what the, the future of the team looks like and going forward, um, I really think you have to start making a decision about Robin Lud versus Ethan Finlay on that right side, because, um, you know, Robin Lud. So here I went through some of the numbers. He, uh, 21 games this season, uh, he's started 13, he started 14 games at left mid and, uh, started seven games at right mid. Um, he has scored in those 13 games. There were 13 games. He, he, uh, sorry, 13 games he played at, at left mid, uh, one goal. And that was off of Amaria's failed, uh, penalty. Oh, kick. Penalty, yes. Yeah. Against San Jose, um, in seven games at right mid, he scored five goals and, uh, in one game, which he started at left mid and then switched to right mid, which was, uh, you know, this game this week, he scored one goal. So he has six goals at right mid and just one goal, which was like a poacher's goal at left mid. It's just, it's just very clear that like, if you want Robin, Robin Lud is a, a danger to score goals on the right side and just is not on the left side. And he does things on the left side that are valuable. I think as far as, um, you know, getting other people involved, I think defensively, he's probably a little underrated in, the, in that position. Cause I think he's one of the better upfield defenders Minnesota United has. Um, but he's just not creating, he's not scoring. And if you have a guy who can score six goals in seven games, if he's on the right side, you have to make a decision whether you're going to have that guy on the right side or Ethan who's scored like five goals, four goals, I think five goals. Um, I can't remember. I don't have the stats up right now, but anyways, he is also fantastic. I don't know how Ethan feels about being on the left side. Uh, I sort of feel like when you've got Ludd, Reynoso and Molino sort of right to left. That's probably your most dangerous offensive lineup. And I sort of feel like that's got to be your, your, your first choice. Um, you know, as much as I hate to see Ethan not out there starting, but I, I sort of feel like that's where you got to go right now. Yeah. It depends really Steve on, on what the coaching staff wants to do, because as you quite rightly said, Robin Lurd does give you plenty of, of value on the left-hand side from a, a much more of a defensive point of view though. Um, and I understand, obviously, why they continue to start Ethan Fenley on the right-hand side, because, as you quite rightly insinuated, he's a very good player and uh, deserves to be starting in, in a Major League Soccer team. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, so I, I, can, I can see why they continue to do what they have done and start with Finlay out there uh, and, and shift Lurd over with 30 minutes or so to go. Um, I don't know how Ethan Finlay feels about playing on the left-hand side. I have no idea um, if that's in his comfort zone. Um, I think Ethan is one of those players that um, he'd probably just roll with it and go with it and make the best of, of the situation. Um, whether he would be as effective or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's, there's one of two ways you can go about it, really. And, and, and right now, it seems to be that the coaching staff want to say, we're going to start Finlay and, and we're going to make sure that he runs the left-back ragged and um, causes all sorts of problems um, for, for the opposing back line. And then later on, we're going to bring in Robin Lurd on the right-hand side and, and shift over whoever's to the left, whether it's Molino or Edwards or somebody, um, and propose a different um, different problem. Sorry, we're getting Slack messages here. I'm going to um, <laughs> close down Slack. It's always the same, isn't it, when we're recording these things? It's, we, we don't get emails or Slacks all day. As soon as we start doing these things, they start flying through. Anyway, yeah. Um, and um, uh, so, so that's one way of doing it, is, is the way they're doing it at the moment. The other way of doing it, which I've thought about recently, is, you know, would you, would you potentially start Robin Lurd on the right-hand side, Molina on the left, and Reynoso in, in the 10, which to, to me is probably the strongest three mm-hmm. behind the forward, and, and I mean no disrespect to Ethan Finlay when I say that. Um, and then you bring on, you know, Finlay um, with, uh, you know, 30 minutes to go or whatever, you move Lerd into a much more defensive-minded um, position over on the left-hand side, and, and know he's going to be a little bit more defensive-minded, and that's okay. You, you may you may miss a little bit of, of an outlet over there, but you know um, you know he's out there. Uh, and then you have Molino um, just uh, run at the opposing fullback who who isn't going to be 100 percent because he's been he's been up and down the field for the last. 60, 70 minutes or whenever Finlay would come on. So mm-hmm. there's two different ways to, to approach this at the moment. But I think at the moment, um, it seems to be okay because Robin Lurd is, is reaping the rewards of, of having just the 30 minutes or so on the right-hand side. 
um, and is um, is going up against you know a, a left back that um, for the most part, Steve, for, for that you know for, let, let's just use the Chicago game for example, going up against Bornstein who was thirty five. Um, Finlay went at him as much as he could and he would have been a little bit tired but also what, what he's used to, to, to doing up against Finlay is as soon as Finlay gets the ball he knows his head down and he's going to go straight it's a very direct winger and Bornstein would, would perhaps drop off because he knows he's not going to catch Finlay for, for pace if he goes up against him tight one-on-one he's not going to get him for pace so he drops off a little bit if he does that which would be the first instinct to do um, having done it for the last 60 minutes or whatever if he does that against Robin Lourdes, all of a sudden, Robin Lourdes is thinking to himself, I've got a lot of space here. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn in where I've got another angle on my favoured foot. And all of a sudden, he's scoring goals. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a good problem to have for Minnesota United, no doubt. But I think Lourdes just looks so much more comfortable on that right-hand side because, as I mentioned, the angles do seem to open up a little bit more for him. Um, but um, that, that's not to take anything away from Ethan Finlay because uh, he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful player and, and, and offers so much. But uh, I, I can guarantee you it's kept Adrian Heath up for many, many nights and he's been scratching his head wondering who, who to play where, um, particularly in between Lourdes and, and Finlay. And I, I wonder, Steve, now is it, is it a situation moving forward where they, they take a look at who they think is going to play at left back and who is the right winger that would be more suited to that particular situation? I wonder if that's what they'll do moving forward. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there are worse problems to have than a, a surplus of talent that you can leverage in different ways. Um, so, you know, that's, that's <laughs> it's, it's all right. Um, let's move on and talk a little bit about decision day. I've written a bunch of words and I don't know if any of them make sense uh, <laughs> because I don't understand standings anymore uh, because of the switch to points per game. But let's talk a little bit about what's the stake for Minnesota United heading into a decision day presented by AT&T matchup against FC Dallas. I believe... If Minnesota wins, they hold their destiny in their hands to some extent. If Minnesota wins, then they will beat out FC Dallas for the fourth spot because they have an equal number of points. They will both have 34 points, but the Loons will have gotten them in a smaller number of games, 21 games, so good that Kansas City got canceled, I guess. Uh, And then points per game will favor Minnesota United. So that will put them into the fourth spot. Yes. If LAFC, who are playing Portland, win, and Minnesota United uh, does not, then LAFC will go into that sixth spot. I think. Is that correct? Okay. The most exciting one, the Rapids. I'm just talking about how you could move Minnesota United down the yep. table. Yep. The Rapids are playing Houston in Houston. It's tough. It's always a tough day. But if they win, they could vault all the way to fourth from seventh because they would have 28 points in 18 games, which is 1.65 points per game. So that's if Dallas, if Dallas loses uh, or draws to Minnesota. Um, Minnesota wins and Colorado wins. Colorado goes into fourth. Like Colorado's just played so few games that like their points per game goes way up if they win. Um, I don't think that the Loons can drop as low as eighth anymore because if San Jose beats Seattle, they still end up with 1.43 points per game. And if Minnesota loses, that would be 1.48. By God, this is even more confusing than usual. (laughs) Does that all sound reasonably? So Minnesota is like anywhere from fourth to seventh if they win, they get fourth unless Colorado wins at, in Houston. But then they could sort of, depending on who wins along the way, they could end up at seventh possibly. So, uh, yeah, You've done a sterling job explaining things there, Steve. Thank you. Because um, it is confusing, isn't it? And we, yes. I had to sit down. It took me a full afternoon to actually comprehend what was going on at one stage. Thinking, right, are we in the playoffs? Are we, what's yeah. going on here? Does, right, okay. Um, yeah, look, the, the whole points per game thing, um, whilst I think it's uh, in terms of completion of the season about as normally as possible, uh, it's it's appropriate. Um, it doesn't mean it's not confusing. So, um, But you're right. Essentially, here's what it means for, from a Minnesota United point of view. If they win, they finish in the top four and they host a playoff game at Allianz Field. And, and remember, again, they're single elimination games again this year, which is great for entertainment. Yeah. Um, but if they lose, that's when it gets a little more complicated. As, and, and even if they tie as well, if they tie or lose, it becomes a little more complicated and you have to watch out for other results. But Minnesota could, if they don't win, fall as low as seventh. Okay. Um, 
And that's when you start to think to yourself, mm, dear me, um, you might have to go and play away at Seattle Sounders or dreaded Sporting Kansas City or something, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's when it, it could really become problematic. So um, the, 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 there can't be any more of a simple message to the players on Sunday. Just win. Yeah. Just win. It doesn't matter how ugly it is. Uh, I don't care if you play good football. Just go and win. And then we'll figure out the rest later on. Because, because after that, Steve, to our knowledge, obviously the, the playoff schedules come out today. Yep. Um, to our knowledge, there's a fairly sizable gap then to work on things. And, and I know there's going to be a couple of players on international duty and whatnot. But um, it, for the majority of the core of the roster that are staying behind, that aren't on international duty, there's a decent spell there to actually work on a few things and prepare for whoever the opponent will be. So mm-hmm. for me, I, I don't care if, if it's direct, if, if it's flat 4-4-2, if it's passing in between uh, centre midfielder, centre half to the right back, fling it. I don't care. I don't care. Just win. Just make sure you win and have that playoff game at Allianz Field because with the way the away games are right now because of the world we're living in, of course, there's a humongous disadvantage. I'm not saying it's it, it's not impossible to go and win on the road. We've seen Minnesota do it. We've seen a lot of other teams go and do it um, with the way that the world is. It can be done, mm-hmm. but from an ideal perspective, you want to have a game at home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that the, the, the season's changed what a home field advantage means, um, but I still think... You know, you don't have the fans, but the fact of not having to travel the day of and all of that just just makes it that you want to have that that home game. So I'll ask you now. I'm not. I I said we're going to get into seedings, but as I looked at it, I was like, I can't even tell where the seedings are all going to land up. So I will just ask you. Assuming there's a home game, who would you want to face in that home game of the teams that you might face? Which means Dallas, LAFC. Colorado. I don't think you can face San Jose if you're in fourth. Yes, I don't think so either. Yeah. So, um, so of those three, who would you most want to face? <laughs> a murderer's row. Uh, yeah. Um, you would. Oh, that's a very difficult question, Steve. Um, because there's, there's a case for, for every team that you mentioned there. LAFC right now aren't playing as attractive um, football as, as they have done. And because of the timing of the of the international break as well, we're assuming players would have to come back and quarantine, which means Minnesota will be unbelievably shorthanded, yeah. whoever they play. But it also means LAFC won't have Carlos Vela and co. Mm-hmm. So do you fancy your chances against LAFC without the main stars? Minnesota have conquered them before, remember, without without the main players. Yeah. Colorado, to my knowledge, wouldn't take a massive hit from an international break point of view. Neither would FC Dallas. Right. Um, from, a, from a pure footballing point of view, Steve, I think you would probably want to play Dallas, um, uh, possibly Colorado, because we've seen Minnesota beat them handsomely in the past, but the Rapids find themselves in decent nick coming into the postseason. Arguably, they found a little bit of momentum. They, they won away stupendously at Portland over the weekend. Um, but as crazy as it sounds, Steve, knowing what the possibilities are in terms of the international break and, and what problems that poses for everybody, you'd probably say LAFC. Yeah, it's wild, but that might be the case, taking that into account. I mean, I, I sort of feel like we, the Minnesota United has had decent success against FC Dallas at Allianz Field. There's a history there, um, which, which you would like. Um, but also success against LAFC generally, uh, you know, uh, overall, especially lacking Vela. Um, and in some ways, I feel like you most don't want to face Colorado based on the history there, which, again, as we talked about after that game, I think only one game was decided by more than one goal. And if you're talking about a playoff where it's all to play for, those teams don't like each other. It seems like Colorado and Minnesota United always get into it. So in a game that gets ugly, where you're thinking it's probably going to be a 1-0, 2-1 game or something like that, 
that's ugly. And I don't know if, I don't know if I, you want to go in against that. So mm-hmm. it's a tough choice. I'd love to play San Jose because Adrian Heath has yeah. sort of solved the San Jose problem uh, <laughs> in his history against the team, but not, not really an option. So unfortunately you can't play San Jose. No, which is a shame. But uh, yeah, because if, if you were to ask me that question again, it was possibility. Straight away, hands up and say San Jose. You want San Jose uh, for obvious reasons, as you've alluded to. Adrian Heath seems to have uh, Mateus Almeida's number with this system and everything. Um, but having said that, the Earthquakes are coming into this um, in a, with a, a decent um, little bit of form after beating LAFC, and they've had several other results. And who'd have thought we'd have spoken about San Jose as a playoff team just a mm-hmm. month ago? You know, they were dead and buried, weren't they? And people were talking about Matias Almeida to be gone, and um, Almeida's representatives were just, to my knowledge, out and about making sure there was a job for him after elsewhere and stuff, you know? So uh, at one stage, I think it just about everybody thought, maybe even Matias Almeida thought that he was gone at one stage, but um, credit where credit's due, he's, he's done a, a great job. And um, in terms of, of recovering everything and making them a sustainable outfit again. But, uh, you know, I, I, what I thought was good as well, Steve, I, I watched that LAFC San Jose game, obviously because it had uh, implications on, on Minnesota United after our game. And um, mm-hmm. uh, what, I, what I thought was quite interesting was how spirited San Jose looked. Um, yeah. Once they got the, the two-goal cushion and they were leading 3-1, I thought they looked quite stern. I know Jackson Yule got sent off, which rattled them a little bit, but but that forced them into a more defensive shape. And, and that meant, obviously, LAFC had, had trouble getting in, uh, in behind. But afterwards, they had, San Jose had this sort of group huddle and um, uh, there was a chant of some sort that was led by Matias Almeida and, and all the players were joining in and singing along and jumping up and down, very excited. And it just seems like there's a really good, good unity there in that group at the moment. So maybe it's not a good time to play San Jose. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I will say... I find the narrative around San Jose over the course of the last two years just hilarious to track because it just sort of seems to move in the cycle of like, they're geniuses. Like, this is brilliant. Like, Almeida's got his guys bought in. Like, no one can stop them. Then it's like, it's falling apart. Nothing works anymore. Like, this is, this is not the personnel he needs. The man marking thing doesn't work. He needs to go away from it. Then it's sort of like, maybe they're going to be okay for a couple of games, then it's like, they're, he's a genius again. Like it just sort of goes in this wave of like, they're either like top of the world or it's like, they're never going to win again. And it just sort of, that's the only two ways it seems to go. Let's talk about, let's move on to FC Dallas. Speaking of teams that are coming in hot, I mean, it, we're sort of stuck in the middle of a whole bunch of teams that are coming in hot. Um, undefeated in four, including three wins. They've conceded just one goal while scoring six in that span. The weirdest thing about it, is that against Nashville, they played Ryan Hollingshead at left wing, and he scored the only goal in the game. So props to Ryan Hollingshead just doing it all over the pitch. I don't have the stat in front of me, Steve, but from from what I can remember, if memory serves me right here, I think Ryan Hollingshead has now played in seven different positions for FC Dallas. Um, He's just the complete definition of a utility player. Um, and the interesting thing about him is that he, you know, he is traditionally a central midfielder, um, and he's just played left back and right back for for you know what seems to be an eternity for Dallas. And you know, occasionally you'd see him pop up out wide, but never on the left hand side. It's tended to be on the right. And anyway, I think he played the number ten role at some stage as well for me. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, look, Dallas um, obviously have threats. We we know what they do. Um, the uh, your mate, the Irish forward, uh, Frank O'Hara. No, he's, he's Argentine. <laughs> um, but I did catch myself. The last time we played FC Dallas, I actually caught myself saying Frank O'Hara. <laughs> I was like, Is that a Frank O'Hara? Yeah, going it's... to kill you. Like that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, they have good players. Um, Hara has got two goals in the last two games. He, he's found a bit of form since Minnesota last played. Um, I can't remember the... He went two or three without scoring, then scored two and two. But prior to the Baron spell, I think it was something like five goals in five games or something. You know, he's really picked it up. Um, I'm a big fan of the Colombian chap who, who they, they brought in, um, Andreas Ricalte, who actually made his debut mm-hmm. uh, against Minnesota in that 3-2 win um, in early September. Um, you know, he came in to be the number 10. And for the most part, he's been in that number 10 role and sat in that number 10 role quite comfortably. But against Nashville, he was a little bit deeper in, in an eight role. And I thought it actually, um, I think it caused an element of confusion really for, for Nashville because I don't think they expected, of course, you, you always expect an eight to be making um, some sort of run and, and be a part of an attacking phase. 
but I don't think they expected an, an eight who's really a ten to to be involved, and and, and it caused them a problem or two. So, um, as I said, Frank O'Hara has has benefited from from service. He he didn't play in um, uh, in Nashville, but uh, Jesus Ferreira went in in the ten role and and, and looked good. Uh, once again, for for those who um, who are listening to the audio version of this, you're missing out again. You've got to come and watch the video version because I'm about to show Steve some some of my tactics boards here and whatnot. The inside baseball here. <laughs> and look, so this is how they lined up against uh, Nashville, right. and yep. it's a four-two-three-one. You know, but you see, you know, Ricarte was a little deeper, and he got plenty of space because of Thiago Santos. But it meant Ferreira had plenty of space as well. The wide players caused problems. Barrios is a pest. We know what it's yeah. like. Yeah, uh, Pepe uh, obviously continues to, to look to make an impression. Another player who scored against Minnesota uh, this this season. So they've got weapons. We we know Fafa Pico um, if uh, if he's available. Um, he, uh, he he scored two goals in the Texan derby in a three 0 victory over Houston and, and looked as, as sharp as he ever has done. We know he caused Metinier problems down in Dallas. Whether that'll be the same in Minnesota or not, we'll wait and see. They're a good team, Steve, and they get nowhere near the credit they deserve. I don't know why that is, but but they don't. Um, and Minnesota, who, who we have said several times now because it's true, will be really short-handed because of the amount of injuries they've sustained over the course of the season. Um, <laughs> it's not easy. It's not going to be easy at all. Um, and Dallas, Dallas will know as well that if, if they get themselves a victory, it's them who will host a playoff game. Um, so... It, it really is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite giddy and quite excited, really, Steve, secretly, <laughs> because it, it, I, this, is, this is why you love being involved in this game, because these are the games that you really want to be involved in, whether it's a writer or a commentator. I'm not even talking about playing. I'm talking about sure, yeah. being involved in it, you know, and um, <clears throat> because these, these are the games, as a fan, these are the games you want to watch, you know, so um, it really is make or break in terms of a home playoff game. It's essentially the winner takes it. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I'm just very, very excited, Steve. It's, it's a massive day on Sunday, and I, and I can't wait. If, if we could, if we could start the game right now, I'd, I'd say, right, let's do it because I'm ready. I'm so excited for it. It's going to be, it's going to be full of energy. Uh, I think it's going to be a good game. It'll be uh, competitive, of course, um, and I think there'll be a couple of goals in it as well. So it should be good. Yeah, I, I would say that Michael Barrios is one of those players. He's high on the list of players I hate to see on the other team. Uh, you know, like whenever, uh, you know, when FC Dallas comes up, it's like after the, you know, after the off season or whatever like that. I mean, like, oh, right. Michael Barrios is on the team. Crap. Yeah. Like he's, uh, Pest is a good, good definition for him. One last thing on Ryan Hollingshead. It's crazy because to me, it's like you look at him and he looks like the picture of a center back. He's six foot one. He yeah. looks like a guy like Boxy or something like that. But instead he's playing fullback and you're like, well, that's seems odd. And then you put him on the wing. It's just, it's crazy. He's done, he's done everything for that team. He's sort of identified so strongly with FC Dallas, which is great. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, last thing I want to talk about here. Obviously, Minnesota, looking at the injury list, has roughly one kajillion injuries. So um, to my understanding, we, we got some new boys uh, from Reno, 1868, which just stopped being a soccer team. So just in time, I guess they were plucked from the sinking ship, apparently. Um, but uh, do, what do we know about Sam Gleadle? Foster Langsdorf, which is I, that name. Best name ever. I, I'm really excited. I was I shared this in the in the Slack that my, what I was so excited for was, and we're not going to really we're not going to get get it this year at least. But would be uh, Tony, our our announcer, when if 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 Foster were to score a goal, and he's like Minnesota goal, Foster, and then everyone's like Langsdorf. Like it's such a great ridiculous like just such such a soccer player name, uh, Foster Langsdorf, and then Kevin Partita. Uh, what can you tell me about any of these guys? Sam Gleadle is a countryman of yours. Um, also extremely Lord of the Rings name, Sam Gleadle. So um, <laughs> well, <laughs> we've only talked about names so far, but what, uh, what can you tell me about these boys uh, who were playing for Reno recently? Okay. Um, so Sam Gleadle, to my knowledge, uh, comfortable on both feet, can play at left back, right back, um, but is also, uh, I, I would argue, more comfortable on, um, on on the midfield and is a left midfielder slash right midfielder, uh, but can play fullback, as I say. Um, and, and I know did so for, for Reno a few times this year. Um, so good good backup piece. As you mentioned, he's English, but he doesn't, doesn't require an international spot because he's got a green card. I think he moved over here at the age of nine or something because of his dad's work or something along those lines. Uh, so we haven't got any worries there. Um, Kevin Partida is an interesting one because there were a couple of MLS teams taking a look, to my knowledge. Obviously, he was originally drafted by San Jose, 
uh, and for whatever reason, they, they didn't fancy him. So he went to the affiliates, which was Reno, uh, ended up staying there permanently. Um, spoken to one or two people about him who are familiar with USL, and, and they've said he's one of the best centre midfielders in the league. Um, number eight, box to box, mm-hmm. um, is uh, high energy, a uh, good passer of the ball. Um, and, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll be somebody that will be useful over the course of the next couple of weeks because, as we've said, Steve, the amount of injuries that Minnesota have sustained, but particularly in the centre of midfield, it's, it's substantial. So I would expect to see Kevin Partida um, more than more than the other two um, over the course of the next couple of weeks. But um, purely just, just because of the amount of injuries Minnesota have sustained in, in an area that he plays... Um, and then Foster Langsdorf is is a player that, that the assistant manager, Sean McCauley, knows quite well. Um, for those unaware, Sean McCauley was the assistant manager of Portland Timbers for, for six years, uh, one MLS Cup there. And um, the reason I bring that up is because Foster, uh, Foster Langsdorf was, um, was with uh, Portland Timbers 2 for several years. Um, and he amassed a decent amount of goals. Um, I don't have the numbers with me at the moment, but I think it was something... I think it was something like 23 goals in two seasons or something along those lines. Um, I do know for a fact that uh, in the Reno season just gone, he scored 11 goals in 18 games mm. and was described again as one of the best centre-forwards in, in the league. Um, so they're all good depth pieces, Steve. The good thing is for Minnesota United here is that um, they're all on deals until the end of the season. And then it's the club who has the option to pick them up if they want to next year. Um, there's no long-term ties. There's, there's no you know, as I said, international green card and responsibilities, nothing like that. They're all sorted and figured out there. Um, so it, it really is the definition of, of low-risk, high rewards. Um, these could be great, and Minnesota could have picked up and plucked three gems from USL. Um, and if that's the case, they'll give them contracts next year. Um, and if it doesn't work out and the staff don't like what they see, well, they're not committed to... They're not tied to any sort of commitment. So... Um, It'll be interesting because they're coming in at the deep end. Because <laughs> <laughs> essentially, you know, we, I, I, playoffs, like just... right? Yeah, I, I think, to my knowledge, I think all three of them will. Maybe two of them will be available for the game against Dallas. Possibly, I'm not sure about about another one. We'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, yeah, what what could happen is their first game for Minnesota United could be a playoff game, a, a single elimination playoff game. <laughs> so um, no pressure. Come in, lace your boots up and do the job, because if you don't, you're out the door, really. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll wait and see. It's a very Ted Lasso uh, situation for them there. So, um, yeah, yeah I, it'll be interesting, you know, and like you said, that, that that concept of sort of the low risk, like even if, even if one of them pans out as a depth piece, that like and based on that structure that's fantastic for next year so all right uh thanks for joining us for the 119th sound of the loons podcast minnesota united's next game is on decision day presented by at&t which is sunday november 8th the game is at 5 30 p.m when mnufc welcomes back fc dallas to allianz field you can watch that on fox sports north and listen on score north be sure to leave us a nice review on itunes or the very least a five-star rating follow the team on twitter at mnufc you can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entress. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>